If you're feeling like this creative entrepreneurial thing means that you have to go alone, then this episode is for you because my friend, you absolutely do not. Today, I'm talking to Morty Rapp, who is the co-owner of Video Sparks and has so much insight into partnerships in creative business and how much they can really just take the load off and how you can make them successful. Now, Morty is from Toronto, Canada, and moved to the startup nation of Israel in 2004. He is passionate about creative advertising, high-quality craft beer, board games, and entrepreneurship. After dropping out of film school and moving to business school to get his BA in marketing and technology, Morty opened Video Sparks with a buddy of his and has since evolved his agency into a six-figure company. Now, you're going to get lots of amazing anecdotes from this episode, so let's dive in. Welcome to the Well-Paid Creative Podcast, where we discover how to run a profitable and satisfying creative business. I'm your host, Gabrielle Chipier, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned in my 17 years as a creative pro, building my own business from barely scraping by to thriving. From attracting quality clients to charging what you're worth and creating amazing work you love without the risk of burnout and overwhelm. But I don't know it all, so in this podcast, we're going to learn a lot together as I interview experts and reflect on my own experiences, both the good and the bad. Before we dive into the show, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, hop on over to wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. All right, let's dive in. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The Well-Paid Created. I am so happy to have Morty Rapp here with me. He is the owner of Video Sparks, and we are going to talk about a whole bunch of interesting topics today. Welcome to the podcast, Morty. Hi, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to be where you are now? Ooh, that's a pretty, that's a heavy-handed question. I know, uh, right? <laughs> I'll give you the short, the short, the shortest version I can think of is in high school, I was introduced to a nice wide variety of art classes that I just fell in love with, like, like from fine art to drama to film class to, and I was just blown away. So all my friends were, they were all STEM people, right? You know, like nice Jewish school, everyone's going to become doctors and lawyers. <laughs> I wanted to. And I wanted, and I was just, I was in love with the arts. And I like after my first film class and like, opening up Adobe Premiere, you know, the 2000 version, um, I fell in love with it and said, this is, you know, the, I, this is what I'm going to want to do with the rest of my life. Fast forward like 10 years, I was not doing that. I would, had, all, you know, odd jobs here and there from like cleaning toilets to, you know, like working in different marketing firms and things like that. And, you know, I always, but I was always like still doing little projects on the side. Eventually an opportunity came up after working somewhere for a little under six months, realizing that just like I was not happy where I was, I said, like, I have to I really, really have to go back to this dream I had a decade ago. And I got to I got to like, I got to take a risk. Um, so a friend of mine who we like, you know, got in touch with again, said, like, let's do this together. Let's go full 50 50 partnership. So it's not just my company. I should say in your intro, mm-hmm. I'm the co-owner. Um, we said, let's try it out for one quarter. Let's see if we could get revenue. Like, let's see what we could do. And after that three months, we were like 
we were already we were we were making a decent amount of money and and saying okay like the proof of concepts there like we've got something good and let's just do it let's start making video products and we'll we'll just do this for for a living and you know now it's been 11 years and thank god we're us you know we're a six figure company and small boutique and work with tech com- tech companies both large and small both in Israel and all over the world from the tiniest little tech you've never heard of to enterprise companies like Amdocs and there's some others as well and yeah, it's uh, that's that's the short version. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> and you know, I love how you said that you took all all of these different classes and fell in love with video editing because I had kind of a similar experience. I went and did a uh, digital arts and media program at my college, and it was essentially just a smorgasbord. Like we did everything from audio and video to graphic design and photography, and it was just everything in between and then by the end of it they were just like pick one okay oh i did think to mention actually one very a very interesting part of the story is i actually did i went to film school for a semester oh, you did i went to film school for a semester i'm like this is it like i'm gonna do it like i have to and after a semester there i realized like no one here wants to make money they're all artists i don't want to be here and I switched to business school. I studied marketing. And that was like, so I had, I had like almost, a, you know, seven or eight years of, I guess you could say like hobby experience within the arts and then a background in marketing. And like eventually like those two things just melded together to, you know, what we have today. I love that. So Video Sparks, tell me a little bit more about your company and what you guys do over there. Sure. So we are a boutique video production agency. We specialize in videos for tech. Um, so anything from those like creative explainer videos that you'll find on websites to creative content strategies um, and like production pipelines for large scale content. So so it really, it really could, you know, it has such a wide range, but when you're a video producer, there's no medium that that you can't do, right? Because you know how to find third party third party suppliers when you need to, and you, it's just all about coming up with a vision, finding out a way to execute it, and making sure it fits within budget. And then creativity kind of does the rest, and and good management and communication, of course. But mm. management and communication—that's a big one because you've grown the company from just you and your co-owner to how many employees do you have now? So now we have two. I hope to get another two by the end of this year. This is this is the year of the growth, the year of the lion, the year of the tiger. I don't know what year is it. Yeah, it's actually the year of the ox. <laughs> but oxen are hardworking, right? There's... It's true. Yeah, exactly. So, so and so far we're doing really well. You know, we're not we're we're not even at the end of Q1, and and uh, we're already past our projections. So that's great. Oh, wonderful. That's great to hear. So when you were first starting out, you and your co-owner, what were some of the biggest struggles that you had getting that brand new money, <laughs> brand new money. company off the ground? Money for the hard. podcast listeners, Morty just made the, the money finger symbol. <laughs> it was, you know, like, even though we still had pay, paying clients, you know, we still had expenses and it wasn't my own company. It was, you know, we were still like, we were treating the company as like a mom and shop freelance model, but splitting the profits in two. So, so it didn't go so far, 
and we were working out of um, one of my spare rooms in my house. And that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't good at all. <laughs> like that was, that was a bad mix. You know, it wasn't good for our marriage. Wasn't and my, my wife and I, it wasn't good for our marriage. And we said, all right, like we have to, we have to rent an office and whatever, you know, where we live is, you know, the rent was still pretty expensive, but people really starting off. So yeah, I think that was the hardest part was really, you know, seeing that we could see that the company can make money, but the question was how much was coming back to our own personal lives. Um, mm-hmm. So just the financial issues. Yeah. The financial issues were really hard. And and the truth is neither of us had, you know, a lot of business experience. So we had to learn a lot along the way, which is like mm-hmm. any. So did you learn more on your own or did you work with mentors or did you bring in outside help when it came to finance? Um, both. I would say the two, the two largest ways that we learned was one mentors having paid mentors was one of the best things we ever did. I had a sales coach. He helped me for six weeks and he like, he taught me all kinds of amazing tricks and he taught me how to have patience and he taught me how to keep leads in the pipeline. When someone says, no, it doesn't mean no, it could mean no. Now you have to clarify, is it no now or, or, or is it no, get, get away from me. And sometimes no now can mean follow up in Q2 and that's a sale. And I didn't, I didn't think about that things. I was just like, Oh, what, like my products aren't good enough for you. Like that's, that's sad. I'm, my ego is blown. Mm. And the other, the other thing, I think one of the most, <laughs> a friend of mine put it great. He's like dummy tax. You pay the dummy tax. You the will, dummy tax. You will spend <laughs> money and see zero return on investment. And you will have to eat that fodder. Um, and you'll learn from it. And no college or MBA or anything is, can, can teach you that because just has to kind of come with experience. I remember we had, we had one deal we paid $10,000 for. It was like some kind of marketing thing. It seemed like it was like a perfect fit. And apparently like the get the sales guy who sold us this marketing package, uh, he was just lying to people and he got fired, but the contract was already in existence. And, and the owner of the company refused to give us a refund. So like, Oh, we just lost 10 grand in our, you know, like it was like our second year of operations. That was a lot of money for us at the time. Oh no. I don't, I don't, I can't even tell you what I learned from that. Like, I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) That's that. I think that can be classified as a dummy tax. I've had many, many experiences with that dummy tax. And now I'm totally stealing that phrasing as to what that's called. (laughs) That's a perfect term for it. And you're going to have those, like those bumps and those moments in the road where you just have to pick yourself up and go, well, at least I learned something from it. Yeah, totally. And then there's, and then there's just like the general grit that you have to have. If you want to, if you want to run your own show, you just have to have so much grit. COVID is probably the greatest example of a year of people who are, if you're an entrepreneur or you're running your own company, the amount of grit you had to show this year was exceptional. We, we had three months of zero revenue. I mean, it was mm. awful, you know, and we're, and we're still like, we're still kind of paying back that so to speak, uh, the, that negative, uh, that impact. And I'd be a liar if I didn't say, is this still worth it? Like, is it worth it for my family, for myself to like continue to do this? Should I just, should I just like go get a job? Like I'm sure I'll get some kind of senior position at some kind of creative agency or something like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, 
you just kind of hang on and that's kind of part of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. That second guessing yourself, I've experienced that quite a bit. Just like, should I just go get a job? Should I just give up? Maybe, maybe even if it's just for now, you know, I could come back to it later. Right. It's but, awful. It's such an awful feeling. And since you had this company, not just yourself, there's a little bit more to it with you being a co-owner. So how did that work out with you being co-owners in terms of getting over those hard periods of time? Did you lean on each other? Were you kind of uh, a little bit more, I don't know, independent? How did that work out with your dynamic? I don't know. I haven't even revealed some of this stuff to him. Maybe he'll listen and <laughs> find out. Maybe. Maybe you just won't tell him about this episode. <laughs> uh, you know, I had, a, I, had a, I had a colleague of mine or a mentor of mine, I should even say, he, and he also had a partnership. And I asked him like when I first kind of started this company with, with a friend of mine, also, you know, and our lives are so intertwined, like our wives are friends and our kids are the same age and they're friends. And, and I asked him like, you know, what's the success to a good partnership? And he said, you have to treat it like a marriage. I can't say that we're, we're the most functional heterosexual marriage out there, but, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, there's, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of leaning on each other. There's a lot of like, you know, I feel like garbage today, man. This is just awful. And you know, that's, you get to share that burden with somebody else when you take risks, mm-hmm. you're not doing it alone. So I, I have a friend of mine who always says like, and he runs his own company. He's like, it's lonely at the top. I'm like, I, I totally agree with you. It is lonely at the top, but it's, it's sometimes nice to share that seat with somebody. It has its pluses mm-hmm. and minuses. But so uh, would say, what would you say would be the drawbacks of that? Well, for one, you know, you have to split all that money, right? <laughs> so, so when you're having a really good month, you're like, you know, like if I was doing this, you know, you have this fleeting thought for a second. Like if I was doing this on my own, well, I'd, I'd have, I'd have double the salary <laughs> or maybe even like, you know, cause like I could probably, we could probably figure out a way to like, you know, whatever tasks the co-owner is doing, you know, an employee could probably take over. That's part of like what we've been doing over the past 11 years is I want to take myself out of the picture and, and my business partner out of the picture so that this company could be, you know, in theory, I want to treat it as something that can be sold. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a big thing. Hey, starting a business with the concept and the idea, even if it's just in the back of your head that one day you're going to sell this business. Right. That's a very different path than if you're going to just be a solopreneur and just do your services and just kind of continue what you're doing until you're not, you know, whether you move on to something else or whether you stop doing it. Right. Yeah. It's a very different mindset. Right. I think the other, I will say the other drawback is that, um, and maybe it's just the way we structured our, our company and our task, but because I'm like the more outgoing salesperson. So I kind of represent the, you know, the bringing in of revenue and of new clients and my business partner kind of does the fulfillment end of things. So mm-hmm. if I'm having a hard time and I can never stop, right. I don't get to pause. I always have to hustle, 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 even if people are saying no. So I'm always working no matter what, but if he's got no stuff in the pipeline, so he's kind of, you know, he's, doing a little bit of twiddling his thumbs kind of the way it's like Morty, where's, you know, where's, where's the work, where's the beef? And I'm like, well, what, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Right. So I'd say that's the other, you know, that's kind of like you could, there could be moments where, and I'm sure he's felt this way about me, although he's never expressed it. Like you could have this kind of resentment of like, oh, we have a partnership, uh, you know, got to pull your weight, even though there's no kind of, there's no weight to be pulled, but it's, it's still, uh, it's kind of just part of it, I guess. I love that. Some good insight there, especially since you've split up the kind of the the duties, so to speak. 
yeah. between the two of you. This has been an absolutely amazing interview, and I don't want to take you away from it, but I just wanted to let you know that I have a brand new guide that I think you're going to get a lot from. It's called the three pivots for creating and selling profitable packages. And I know it's going to be right up your alley. So if that feels like something that you want to work on, go to wellpaidcreative.com pivot and grab your copy completely free today. So since you handle most of the sales and the client management and that kind of end of things, what would you say has been your most successful, I want to say strategy or tactic in order to bring those new clients into the business? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think one of my favorite things that we've done over the past, and this doesn't mean that we no longer take clients in certain areas is that I can try to continue to hone down what my message was and what was like the value I was bringing to this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like one of like the fourth or fifth page of agency nomics, which is a phenomenal book about if you ever want to grow an agency, like out of a mom. Nomics. Yeah. Like take, I'll have to put a link down there in the show notes for everybody. To it's, one. it's very big picture. I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Like I could talk the talk, but I, we're, we're not even close to anything that repre- is represented in that book, but it's a very cool mindset. And I just remember like, you know, they show this graph of like, um, you know, if you go over like a very niche audience, you know, you're, you're going to have way fewer competitors in that niche audience. So we chose specifically to go after tech. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and, and I could even hone it down even more. Like I could say even we're experts in it technology companies. Right. And I'm even currently running a campaign targeting only it companies. There's not many people doing that. And, and it, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's probably two or three, maybe <laughs> like, who's like s- creative specializing in video for it. Like that is so crazy niche. That's very I say, niche well, I've got like nine clients in, in the it space. Like, wow, well, you know, your stuff, right. You could, you could talk about, um, Xerox four, five, Oh, part number six, 12. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. And you know, and niching, and we've talked about it on a couple different episodes here, but it really is key, especially when you're doing more of a insubstantial service. I don't want to say insubstantial, but a a broader type of service. Like if you're a mechanic, then you can't be making houses and fixing cars. Like it's very clear what you do, what someone goes to you for. But if you're a creative provider, then you can essentially target everybody, right? So that makes it very easy for people to say, well, why don't I target everybody? But the effective marketing is the one that actually speaks to one specific type of person. So I love hearing how people have been using that successfully in their own creative businesses. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean that's, you know, because after 11 years and you probably experienced it yourself, word of mouth does 50% of 50% of our work just comes from word of mouth. Right. So Mm -hmm. when a nonprofit comes our way, and they have the budget, like, I'm not going to say no, like, we'll still do it for sure. Even if it's not our target audience, but from a strictly, like, if I'm going to have a strategy and I'm going to spend money on marketing dollars and I'm going to be generating, I'm going to be generating traffic to a certain area. Like I want to make sure that stuff is so tight and on point that, um, you know, it's just, it's very clear who, you know, who the client should be and who we are and that we're going to be a good fit and you want to fill that form out or you want to reach out to us. So. Mm-hmm. I love that. So powerful. So you 
live in Israel right now. That's correct. And I'm I'm assuming you didn't start out in Israel. But so why? Me, I, I accent. <laughs> you just don't seem very European. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm from um, uh, I'm from uh, Toronto, Canada. Florida. Oh, a fellow Canadian. Love yes. it. Perfect. So, how did you end up in Israel from Toronto, Canada? Uh, I was raised in a Jewish Zionist home, and it was kind of always the dream of my family to to come to come back here. Um, and I have family here as well. And I came to, to study abroad here for a year, fell in love with the country, fell in love with the life here. And I think I'd already, I already had a, br- a brother who had come to move here, which was called making Aliyah, so to speak. Um, and yeah, so it just was like, it was a nice natural fit. I did not think about career or anything when I did it. I was, I was 19. I was very young. Oh, so you moved to Israel before you started your company. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. It was going to, it was going to be another, uh, for years until uh, until we until we opened up video sparks so i did military so do duty you, here and yeah do you have any issues with being overseas and working with are your customers primarily in north america or are they european um i would say we started off working for mostly israeli companies and used our own local um flavor and the, the truth is i bring a lot of added value in Israel, just because we're Native American and all the tech clients, all of them are doing global marketing. So mm. they can come with that American flair. Once you, by the way, once you live in Israel, it doesn't matter if you're from Canada, you become American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they want an American, you know, all, all, almost, I would say it's so funny. All the, all, all the tech companies that I work with and all the people who are end up being my end clients, right. They're all like marketing execs. They're all American. They're all North American. Because, you know, you have, you have these Israeli, Israeli engineers and CEOs who are running these companies, but they want marketing people who are going to be representing the client-facing side of things. That makes sense. So you say that's been one of your advantages over there then? Yeah, I even like, even specifically, like, even if they want to speak in, you know, in Hebrew to me, I'm like, oh, we're going to speak in English. We're, we're doing this meeting in English, right? <laughs> like, and, 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 I, and I come into those meetings and I almost like have control over the room, right? because I am now like an expert, even though, you know, we are, you know, we are who we are, but, but that confidence that I'm coming with my own language and, and I'm coming with this like almost global feel. So they, they eat it up. And then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't long after that, that, that we started uh, going after North American companies as well, because it was a good fit and the experience and, and companies that we were working with here already in Israel, like they were already world, you know, they were already famous in North America. So so yeah, so that allowed us to you know tap into North American tech clients as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, it kind of t- ties into what we were joking about before we hopped on the podcast here. Uh, Morty, for those of you just listening, has a very feminine uh, dressing room background as a Zoom background. And he was laughing that his kids had changed it. But he said, well, you know, I'm a creative. It's just expected of us, right? We just kind of, <laughs> you know, get given a pass because that's who we are, right? But using that to your advantage, especially here in this story, where you're telling me about using your North American accent and your experience to your advantage is kind of finding those almost like your unfair advantage. And some people will call it, you know, your experience or your skills or something, but sometimes it's something completely unexpected, like just being a creative person or having a North American accent in Israel. I love that kind of lesson that I just put together in my head right now. (laughs) It is a good lesson. I mean, you have to, 
you know, also when you're selling and when you're representing something that's kind of almost ephemeral, how do you sell creativity? Like, how do you, I could show someone a portfolio, but that doesn't prove to them that I'm, you know, that we're the right guy for the job and the right team for the job to like come up with a vision that, that doesn't exist. You know, a marketing company could say, we are going to do X, Y, and Z. Here are our channels. Here are the tools we're going to be using. Here's the expected traffic. Let us reach those goals. How do you, how do you define a goal for a creative? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, that that, and that product doesn't that a lot of yet. us struggle with. Yeah. And I mean, I always talk about tying things into your results. And there are some avenues where it's a little bit easier to do. Like, um, you know, if you build websites, you can say I can increase the number of your website leads by, you know, 20% or something like that. You can have some data and back it up. But for those more esoteric creative fields where you're creating a video, but then once you create that video, it's kind of out of your hands. Like sure. whether or not that video makes them money or or increases their brand recognition is kind of not up to you. So how do you deal with that in your day-to-day? Like if you have a client who takes this beautiful video that you made and doesn't do anything with it or or does something <laughs> bad with it. Like, yeah, I mean, that's a sad, that's sometimes like a sad reality, right? We've had clients who wanted to run, and this is probably the most painful to watch. Like let's say crowdfunding was a space we were involved in. Um, and you see the can you see the video on the campaign page and like that campaign's running for 30 days and that like ticker, you know, it just kind of stays static, you know, it like, it's like, doesn't get past the 25% like mission failed. And, uh, and you can't help but feel a little bit almost responsible for that. It's I, obviously it's not, you know, there's so much that goes into a crowdfunding campaign, but like we made one of their main collaterals. And it did, you know, and like they didn't achieve their goal. So like you feel a little bit bad about that. Um, I, but you're right. Like we don't, we don't have control. But for, you know, for every one quote unquote loss, like we have like a hundred successes. We're working so with focusing a on those successes instead? Uh, say that again? So you'd focus on the successes instead of the, the one or two failures? Yeah, for sure. What are you, so you again, know, it's not really a fail. We did our job. We did a really high end we did not cut any corners the piece the collateral that they got was phenomenal and uh, yeah it just didn't work like you know i can't always we can't be responsible for someone else's marketing plans at the end of the day not not when mm-hmm. we're you know we're, we're a small piece of the pie the only thing we could promise is we'll deliver on time it'll be freaking awesome and uh and we'll make sure that you're happy throughout the entire purpose the uh, process but uh yeah but then you have the clients who are very good at what they do and have nice marketing teams and have a plan for everything. And, and they report the metrics back to you. They'll say, here are the amount of views you got from the video. Here's how many of those things led to downloads, let's say. And of those downloads led to paying customers. Here's the ROI we got off your video. We're super happy with you. Take some more money for Q2, Q3, and Q4. <laughs> you got it, baby. <laughs> nice. I love that. That's wonderful. So... Anything else you'd like to add about like your whole process of getting from, you know, just starting out to now you're at a six figure agency. It's quite the, quite the success story. Uh, yeah. You know, it's never like, it kind of, it's never ending. Right. Uh, I, I personally, I always want to just keep growing it. Like I still feel like ah, we're not as big as I wanted to be at this point after 11 years, <laughs> there's almost like a sense of, there's never like a sense of, full satisfaction if that makes sense because mm, there's no there's no finish line really yeah there's no finish line there's just like there's just this there's this imaginary dial that i kind of want and it's like you know resisting i just want to like crank it 
to 11 and it's not, you know, it's never going to get there. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of hard, but it's also fun because there's always something new and interesting you can do. And, and we treat this as much as we're doing creative works. Like I treat this like it's a, like it's a very intense business and there's so much, no matter how creative, let's say I am as a personality, there's just so much business acumen that I'm going to have to constantly learn to stay ahead of the curve and to keep this going and to, at the end of the day, you know, you know, pay employee salaries and, and uh, yeah, I guess it's just kind of part of it. You know, you have to, you have to remember if, if you're any kind of creative, like you have to get a taste for it and see if this is something you want to do for the rest of your life. Because once you're in, there's no going back. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much going back. There, there is so much going back. Oh, I love that. So I asked this of all of my guests. Mm. I'm always intrigued. Uh, do you have a hobby or some sort of activity that you do on the side just for yourself? Yes. Oh, I have to answer. Oh, well, oh yeah, well, you have to answer. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I'm a very big game enthusiast. I love strategy board games and magic cards. Magic the Gathering is a game I played when I was a little nice. kid. And I never gave it up. You know, I never want to. I'm holding on to my youth forever. I'm 35, at which still, it's not old. And I feel like a kid still. And I'm going to hold on to that for as long as I can. So oh, I love that. We love board games over here too. And my kids are now getting to be the age where they'll actually play and almost do it competitively with my husband and I. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we just had the Canada day or not Canada day, family day holiday on Monday here in Canada. Like and it. so we I sat down and played ticket to ride Europe. <laughs> and I was no, no one can read any of the names because it's, yeah. I know my younger one is like, mom, can you read this for me? But my older one is getting into it and he's starting to like know the strategy and stuff. So it's becoming more fun for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, we taught our nine-year-old how to play uh, um, cities and nights, Catan cities and nights. That's like, you know, city. Oh, that's Catan on acid, right? So yeah, that's a good one. We'll have to get Catan over here. <laughs> my goodness. So thank you so much for this morning. I've had such a great conversation here. Pleasure. Really enjoyed this. Oh, and I might just bring you back another time. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. I got a lot to talk about. Can I add one more anecdote? Absolutely. Go right ahead. This is for this is this is for all the uh, all the solopreneurs out there, all the young creatives who are just starting out. I would say never be shy to ask people who are like, let's say, ahead of you career wise for advice. There's so much. I think I'm very privileged that I get to like Get, you know, I can get to give back to like these young people who I, I get random calls and texts of people that ask me to get into this industry. I'm happy to give back. But only, the reason is because I, I received it also from other people and friends and colleagues, et cetera. There's so much learning to be shared and to give. And there's not, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's good to build that network. So don't be shy. Reach out and ask for help. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. That's such a great anecdote. Well, thank you so much, Morty. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm going to be linking down to Morty's company, Video Sparks, where he has generously offered a nice uh, little coupon code for people to use. And we're going to be linking to books and resources that we mentioned in this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, Gabrielle. It was very nice. <laughs> Have a good one. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Well-Paid Creative. All the discussions we have around these episodes mean a lot to me, and I love how much I learn from the creatives who listen in. 
Before we head out, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, visit wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. Join me for the next episode as we continue discussing how you can grow and love a profitable creative business. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone you think would benefit. Thanks so much. See you soon.